Let's open our Bibles this morning to the 16th chapter of John. Last couple weeks we were looking at proof of faith, more proof of faith, even more proof of faith. Now we're going to look at the proof of his love. And I bet next week we'll look at more proof of his love. Who knows what we'll do the next week? John chapter 16. And if you're able, would you stand with me as uh, I read the word of God? Heavenly Father, come upon us today with your Holy Spirit. You have sent him to us to lead us into all the truth. Today we pray that he would do exactly that that our eyes and hearts would be open and receptive to what you have, that it would fill us to the point where it would overflow from all that we do and say, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said what he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Scripture has some things in it that seem we've talked about them before. They appear to be contradictions or dichotomies or paradoxes within them. One such is that whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So to, lose our, to save our life, we first must have to lose it, but lose it for a particular purpose, and that is for Christ and the gospel. Scripture talks a lot about these types of things, that loss is gain. You don't find freedom until you become the servant of all. You don't find riches until you come to the point where riches don't matter. Then you get real riches, and the list goes on. Well, the disciples had right here in their midst, in, in this period of time, the first century, they had Jesus Christ. They had the Son of God right with them. They heard his voice. They saw his person. They saw what he did. And you'd think, well, it just can't get any better than that. But understand, they didn't fully grasp who he was yet. Remember, uh, Peter's ready to die for him, and then a little bit later he's going to deny him three times. Okay? And then Jesus says, this is what will happen. So you have to be ready for these things. And, and basically, Jesus tells them that they won't understand to their fullest capacity, his love or his power or his calling in their lives until he leaves their presence. 
Now, that seems kind of strange. Here you have the Son of God right in the midst of you, teaching you for three years, and then he turns to you and says, but you won't understand who I am or what I have to say or all that I'm calling you to do until I'm gone. But he doesn't say, I'm going to leave and leave you alone like orphans. Remember, he says, I won't leave you as orphans. He says, I will send to you the helper, the one who will give you the understanding. And we are going to look at today at the Spirit's work in our lives. And the first part of the Spirit's work is the Spirit's work in the world. Okay, how does the Holy Spirit work in this world today? Well, let's jump down and, and kind of do it backwards. Jump down to verse 12 and we'll look at 12 to 15 and get an understanding of this and then we'll go back and see how the Spirit works in the world to start. Verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. Do you remember when Jesus turned the water into wine? Okay, That was the first miracle. They're at the wedding at Cana, and uh, the, you know, the, the, the head waiter or whoever comes, this is rod of wine. And Mary says, well, yeah, I'm paraphrasing now. Well, talk to him. Do something. And he says, well, I don't want to. It's not time. She says, do it. And so he does the first miracle. And he takes the water pots, these great big stone pots like this, holding 50-some gallons of water. They're for ceremonial cleansing. When people would come to the wedding, they would wash their hands and their feet and and be ceremonially clean that way, as well as a little bit of, of hygiene. He takes those, and they're filled with water, and he turns them into wine. And what kind of wine did he turn them into? It's primo wine, okay? Because the guy comes out and says, well, you know, at most most weddings, they, they serve the... Um, the good stuff first, and everybody gets you know half in the bag, and then they bring out the bad stuff, and nobody can tell that it's bad. You have brought out the great stuff at the end. The same type of thing that's going on here. Jesus is saying this has been good, but the good stuff is really yet to come. Okay, because you cannot bear the things that I have to say. You cannot understand them until I am gone from you and I send the next one, which is the helper, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We understand that that the Trinity, and I'm not going to explain it to you because I I can't. Okay, you've got the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are one God in three persons. The Son emanates from the Father. The Spirit emanates from the Son and the Father. The Son's desire is to do nothing but the Father's will. The Spirit's desire is to do nothing but the will of the one who sent him. But yet they are the same person. Okay, I want you to go write 10,000 words on that this week and bring it back. And maybe I will grasp it on a better plane. Okay, But that's just the way it is explained in Scripture. It's one of those mysteries that we take it as it is. We take it as it is. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Literally, it is all the truth. All the truth. Now he's talking about what is recorded here in the New Testament, in the pages of this book. And the fact that the scriptures make the claim repeatedly that it is no ordinary book. It is, in fact, the very word of God. As we said earlier, there's a difference between reading a novel and reading scripture. Okay? This is the word of God. It says repeatedly that it has power and authority that is given by the Spirit. Remember, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You, you can't pick up the Tom Clancy novel and come to salvation unless the Holy Spirit does something very spectacular there. Okay? But here you read this, and, and I always refer to my friend who was studying the, the minor prophets and became a Christian. You can study any portion of the scripture, and the Lord may do the wonderful work of salvation in your life. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. 
You want to know about the wave offering and trimming the fat off that? Well, how does that deal? Well, maybe the Lord has you read that and directs you over to Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews said, but remember, Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. He washes away all sin. There's no need to go back to these types of sacrifices. This is the word of God. He said, it is the power of God unto salvation. And it was claims to be written by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Timothy, all scripture is what? God breathed. Okay, God breathed, literally from the breath of God. Now, how does that work? Well, do I, am I saying that, that John, when he wrote this, uh, simply went to a room by himself and sat there and said, okay, Lord, breathe on me, and, and he closed his eyes and the pen moved? No. John is recording what he saw and what he heard. But the Holy Spirit is using his human activities here and he is ensuring that exactly what God wanted written down is written down but yet he is using the human instruments and it is exactly what was to be written down both for the first century and the 21st century and if Christ does not return the 31st century and the 41st century okay it will be applicable no matter what the time no matter what the circumstance this is the word of God The Bible says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can drive right into the soul and the person of an individual, separating the bone from the muscle, etc. It needs nothing else to reveal to us the Lord, the Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a laser light show. We don't need a dog and pony show. We don't even need a good-looking presenter, okay? What we need is the Word of God and the Spirit to open our eyes to it. The grace of God is irresistible. When you hear the gospel and when the Holy Spirit works in your life and opens your eyes, you will believe. Okay? It's not as if the Lord comes and says, no, no, I see this great offer of salvation. We say no in our humanness. When the Spirit works, the one whom Christ has sent, the helper, the comforter, the one who enlightens us, when he opens our eyes, we see that we must have Christ. We see that he is the only answer for this sin that we have and for our very lives. And we'll see that as we go along. Such is the power of the Spirit to lead us into all truth, all the truth. Now, there are lots of false sects out there, false sects, false religions, um, religious groups, even those sometimes with even in the, the Christian church who want to add things to the Scripture. Okay, we're all familiar with uh, the Book of Mormon uh, or uh, the writings of Mary Baker Eddy and, and, and Christian Science. These things are in addition to Scripture. They take the Scriptures and they say, well, these are good, but now let me tell you what God really meant. Okay, let me tell you what God really meant. Well, I have a, a, a set in my office, and it's, it's in one of those boxes, um, one of those boxes, as if you can visualize it. Exactly. It's in a box, and it has a flap over it and a snap. Okay, it's one of those things. And two books. One is the Bible. The other is the book written by Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Science. And it is thicker than the Bible because she has to tell you what the Bible really means. Okay, and then she goes off into these wild tangents. Uh, so does the... Uh, um, you know, the, the, the Book of Mormon goes there. The Jehovah's Witness have extra writings. So, you know, almost any of those... Those groups, sects, uh, have extra biblical material that they put on the same level as Scripture or even above Scripture. Okay? This is the Word of God. We don't have to add anything to it. In fact, the book of Revelation says, don't you dare add anything to it. Okay? When this is complete, don't change an iota, don't change a dot. Anybody who does, what do they get? 
the ten plagues will be added unto them, okay? And I don't want to go there. So if you think if you think the blank pages in the back of the Bible are for new revelation, that's a mistake, okay? <laughs> that's not there. That's not for that. There is no new revelation coming. There's insight into the present revelation. I mean, it might be you, maybe you've read the scripture one day and all of a sudden you go, wow, where has that been? Well, it was there all the time, but... You weren't able to bear it yet. Okay, you weren't able to bear it. That's what John is saying here. That's what Jesus is, is telling his disciples. You're not able to bear certain things yet. The reason they weren't able to bear it is because they didn't have the power of the Spirit working within them. Now, they were, in a sense, still babes in their faith. They knew very little of Jesus without the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Okay, now this pattern is unexcusable for believers today because we do have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the gospel in a complete form. I, I mean, we've we got books. I use commentaries. I've got lots of commentaries. They're written by guys who are much smarter than I am. And what they do is help me understand this. They don't take me someplace else and say, well, that's good, but let me tell you the real truth. They all say, this is the real truth. Let's understand its context. Let's understand its history. Let's understand the language. Let's understand the theology. Let's understand what God wants us to do because of what it says here. That's the issue. Go over to Luke chapter 18 for a second. See, the, the disciples still, they're not mature yet, and, and, and it, Paul talks about this kind of thing back in the 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when he tells the Corinthians, you should be eating meat, but you're still eating, you're still drinking milk. And he's talking about spiritual things. So I can't talk to you as spiritually mature, I have to talk to you as spiritual babes, even though you ought to be further down the road. Okay, and here in Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 31... And he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Pretty clear teaching about what's going to happen, right? Verse 34. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Um, I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, mistreat me, spit upon me, scourge me, and kill me, and I'll rise on the third day. They don't understand that. Have you ever gotten directions from somebody, and then when they were done, you looked at them and said, no, go back to the beginning? Okay. That's pretty much what has happened here. He has said very clearly what's going to happen. Why don't they understand? They do not have the Holy Spirit yet. The Holy Spirit has not come and granted them this understanding and enlighten. And they can look back at these things after Christ is gone, after the day of Pentecost, and say, that's what he was talking about. That's what he meant. That's what was going on. They won't grasp these things until the other side of the cross. So Jesus says there is a person who is going to come and pick up where I left off. He'll be your, in a sense, true teacher. It's not a 
He's not going to teach anything different. He's going to teach what Christ taught him, but he's going to give them understanding. So in addition to just activating Christ's promises in them, in addition to witnessing to Christ through them, in addition to convincing the world and comforting them, he will also reveal God's truth to them. He will guide them into all the truth. All the truth. Now, the question probably on your minds is, all the truth? Is all the truth revealed to us in here? I've yet to find calculus in Scripture. Okay? I've yet to find formulas. I've yet to find you know, recipes for anything I'm really interested in in Scripture. Okay? Those types of things. He's talking about knowledge of Christ and knowledge of salvation and how God wants us to live. That is what he's talking about. Remember, this is a theological book. It's not a math book. It's not a science book. It's not a history book. Yet some of those things are all wrapped up in this. This is a book that teaches us who Christ is, how Christ wants us to live. Who is our Heavenly Father? What has he done? What does he call us to do? That is the truth that we're talking about here. All of this truth necessary for Christ-likeness, for salvation and Christ-likeness. Okay, John chapter 16. That was the introduction, okay, to the power of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. We've taken a little excursus over there. Now we're going to look at the first, uh, and that's all we'll have time for today, the first work of the Spirit in the world, in the world. And that is the conviction of sin, the conviction of sin. Well, what does it mean and how is this done? Well, convict has two, as a kind of a two-prong uh, uh, definition to reprove or convince to reprove or convince now to reprove means to remind someone of what they already know the world does not know that their sin separates them and their answer to that so we are talking about being convinced the Holy Spirit comes and convince or convicts the world of their sin so that their eyes are open to it. Now, most of us have some idea of right and wrong. There is some moral compass within us, whether it comes through um, you know, just the teaching or the culture or whatever. But you can go to other cultures, and they don't have the same moral compass that we do in this country. Okay? But the conviction of sin and the real separation that that sin causes between us and our Heavenly Father comes only through the work of the Holy Spirit only through the work of the Holy Spirit. It convicts the world of what it does not yet know, that it is afflicted with sin. Once convicted, the Spirit changes hearts so that people are able to turn away from that sin and seek forgiveness and seek our Heavenly Father. So the Spirit convicts in two ways, two ways. So this is the first way. We'll make it like 1A, okay? Like a prosecuting attorney goes for a guilty verdict. Okay? You are guilty of sin. Now, someone told me uh, quite some time ago that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving, right? Yeah. And, and some people are really good at giving that guilt, and other people are not. Some people feel it all the time. They don't know why they feel it. Others, it runs right off their back. Okay? Well, conviction of sin, it is the guilty verdict. You are guilty of sin. And the second, or let's say 1B, he brings the guilt home to our hearts so that we're burdened by it. You know, you can try all you want to make some people feel guilty, and they won't feel it. The Holy Spirit, when he convicts us of sin, we understand that guilt. We are burdened by it. We want release from it. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2. We'll have a look at this. Starting in verse 36. If you're burdened by the guilt of sin, the Spirit also comes and opens your eyes to the way that that burden can be, you can be delivered from that burden. In Acts chapter 2, this is uh, Peter's sermon. And remember, at the end of this sermon, remember, and we'll go back, we've talked about this before. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he had about 500 followers. After Peter's first sermon, he, there were 3,000 added to the church. What was the difference between the two events? The coming of the Holy Spirit and the power that is available to the church. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter goes through all this and talks about what has happened in the past, and this is the culmination of this, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, before the Spirit came, what did they say to that? Ah, ah, that's not true. He's not the one. After the Spirit comes, what did they say? Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? They wanted release. What should we do? We have to be delivered from this guilt, from this burden of sin. 3,000 were added to the church that day. I was working at Youth for Christ. We were at a weekend retreat. We'd go off to a state park or someplace, and, and we'd do all kinds of wild things and, and just lots of fun, but it was also a challenge to where they were spiritually or to some of those kids that they would hear the gospel for the first time. At the end of the retreat, this kid comes up to me, and he is just, he's just sick. You can tell the look on his face and the tears are running down his face. I said, man, what's wrong? He says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to throw up. I feel so terrible. I said, did you eat something? He says, no, no, it just, it just came upon me. I don't know what's going on. And, and we talked a little bit more. And, and he was feeling the weight of guilt for his first time in his life. If he liked it before, he pursued it. If he didn't like it, he stayed away from it. He didn't care who he used, what he did. He pursued only the things that were selfish, only the things that best served his purposes. Now he was confronted and convicted by the Holy Spirit, and this guilt weighed upon him, and he was physically ill because of it. And I said, you want to be released from this sickness? You want to be released from the weight of this guilt? He said, dude, I got to now. What do I have to do? I think that was the question here. What shall we do? I said, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Ask for forgiveness. And it was like that. You know, every once in a while you come across somebody that the Spirit is working to that degree in their life. Okay, some of us, we came to Christ over like a slow burn and we finally came to the realization that he was our Lord and Savior. Other times it is like a smack in the face and that's what happened to this guy. When he prayed, he opened his eyes and, and, you know, his whole countenance was changed. His whole countenance was changed because he'd been released from the guilt. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit also releases as well. The second part of conviction is like a mirror image of the first. Conviction of guilt is one, or conviction of sin is the first. The, section, the second is a conviction to righteousness. A conviction to righteousness. If you're convicted of sin, you're forgiven, what do you do now? Well, in our own humanness, I'm good, right? I have my insurance. I've been saved. 
those things from Scripture, say I'm going to heaven, I'm good. Ah, the Holy Spirit convicts us to righteousness, that our lives need to be mirror images of Christ, that we need to form and shape to be more and more like Christ in everything that we do. Remember, he who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. His righteousness is imputed into us. Our sin is imputed into him. So that righteousness comes. Now, how are we going to live because the righteousness of Christ is now imputed within us? It is the work of the Spirit to create in the heart of a believer a desire for this righteousness, a desire to no longer live bound by these chains, to to leave the life that that was full of sin and, and leave a life that was displeasing to our Heavenly Father and to pursue the things of Christ each and every day. The Holy Spirit works in us. It works to convince and move us towards righteousness. And part of that movement is the declaration of what the Lord has done in our lives. Okay? There's, there's something, and we've talked about this before, something called hyper-Calvinism. Where, you know, when God is ready to save so-and-so, he'll do it. I don't have to do a thing about it. That's crazy. Because of those little commands by Christ, you know, go into all the world, make disciples. Okay, take the gospel, present the gospel in word and deed. How will they know unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone tells them? Okay, this is like a little conspiracy here that the Lord works. He sends the Spirit. The Spirit fills believers. They do the things they never thought they could or dreamed they could previously. They write down these events and the thoughts that the Spirit wants them to write down. Those things are preached. Those things are heard. The Spirit uses those things to convict unbelievers of their sin and to lead them to righteousness, and the pattern starts again. Then those who have been convicted of sin and forgiven of that sin go and declare it to others. They declare the same thing. It is the power of God unto salvation. So the question today, have you been convicted of sin? Do you hate your sin? Do you look at it and go, man, I cannot bear that? Because, you know, God hates it. Been convicted of your sin, have you been convicted to righteousness? Is it your great desire to put aside the things of the old life and to pursue the things of Christ in everything that you do? In everything that you do? Let's pray. Lord, you you left this earth, but you sent the Spirit, the one who would lead us and, and provide us understanding of the things that the disciples could not bear before that. Here we have this great breadth and depth of Scripture, and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to it so that we know who we are before you. So that when we read these words, we understand them as truth, all the truth. We understand how we are to pattern and order our lives. We understand that sin has has come and separated us between, between us and you. That we cannot bridge that gap on our own. That we must rely upon the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that once our lives are changed, we are convicted to righteousness. That that we must declare those things that others must hear that message, that they must see that work in our lives so that they too can understand this grace that has so permeated our lives, so touched us and forgiven us. Lord, today we pray 
that we would be convicted and that we would be challenged to examine ourselves and our hearts relative to our sin. Convicted that we need to seek forgiveness, to repent, to put it aside and walk away from it. But also convicted to righteousness. That the things that we are to pursue are no longer the things that the world holds as a priority. No longer the things that the world sees as as what successful and, and great people pursue. But to pursue the things of Christ and his righteousness. Because when we put those things first, all the other things will be added unto us. Lord, make the desire of our heart to be successful for you. You will add the success in the other areas onto us. Lord, as we come, there there are people here in varying stages of, of maturity and understanding. Provide for each of them at their level this understanding. That they would know the things of the gospel and that they would live the things of the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.